First, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to uh, the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel will be in chapter 4 today. And if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 785. And thank you, Noah and John, for uh, reminding us through music of God's marvelous grace and what good news it is when we come to God's Word each uh, and every week. Uh, that we are reading about a God who is gracious. We know that He is compassionate and gracious, that He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And for these reasons, we want to know Him more. So let me invite you to open up His Word with me this morning. Well, after spending uh, eight months or so uh, moving through the book of Revelation together toward an incredibly beautiful portrait of eternity with Jesus in the new heaven and new earth, we now return Uh, to the old earth. Uh, And as we do, we want to consider what it looks like uh, to live um, on earth as it is in heaven. And perhaps you realize as we journey through that uh, final and climactic portion of the Bible, maybe Revelation uh, isn't naturally uh, everyone's cup of tea. Most people are either intrigued by it or a little bit uh, put off by it or or don't know what to make of it. But, But heaven, this is where it ends. And how can we beat heaven? You can't beat heaven. And according to the Bible, heaven is not some uh, made-up fantasy. It's not uh, something, it's not a figment of our imaginations, but it is a real place where real people who turn and trust in a real Jesus will spend eternity with the only real God. And church, because of that truth, we are doing this series Through this video you just heard from J.D. Greer, president of our Southern Baptist Convention, uh, sharing about Who's Your One, uh, a joint effort among pastors and churches to the North American Mission Board across our denomination to equip and to encourage believers to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is going to be our focus over the next few Sundays, the next four Sundays, uh, knowing and sharing Jesus Let me ask you this morning before we look at God's word, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him in a personal way? Have you given your life to him? Have you been intrigued by him and saved by his grace? You see, we'll be looking over the next few Sundays at real historical encounters with Jesus in an effort to know him more. And the first of those encounters is recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4. So let me invite you to look at this text with me. And as you find your place in Matthew chapter 4, let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's let's read the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Matthew records, he says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity now to look at your word Father, we thank you that your word is uh, alive, that it is active, that it is sharp, that it penetrates. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would work now through the proclaimed word, through your proclaimed word to penetrate our lives. Lord, to confront us and to correct us, 
to encourage us in the faith that we might faithfully follow your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What comes to mind uh, when I say the word Christian? What do you think of when you hear the word uh, Christian? After all, that's a label that we use to describe ourselves. It's a label that the broader culture uses uh, to describe those who attend church. Uh, What does this label mean to you? What does the label Christian uh, mean to you? As you think about that, let me uh, help prime the pump a little bit through a little word association game. Um, uh, What comes to mind when you think about a politician? Uh, What comes to mind uh, when you think about President Trump? Uh, What comes to mind when you think of a CrossFit fanatic? Uh, What comes to mind when you think of an Alabama football fan? Odds are you have certain mental associations with each of these. And now what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? Chances are you also associate that word with specific characteristics as well. Did you know the first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians? In fact, it was a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith to describe those who claimed allegiance to Jesus. Acts chapter 11 tells us that uh, the first Christians were known as disciples. In fact, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. The word disciple is used 281 times. And so Christian may be the label that we use far more often today, but disciple is actually a far more accurate description of what it means to indeed follow Jesus. No doubt many who claim to be Christians are not disciples of Jesus. You see, a disciple is one who puts his faith in and follows Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? And why did these men, these guys receive an invitation? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, why were they invited to follow Jesus? You see, in Jesus' day, boys went to Torah school beginning at age five. The Torah, another name for the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the boys were expected to know the Torah by age ten. And the best students of the word went on to study the rest of the Old Testament while others returned home to work in the family business. And those who continued studying the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, uh, through the teenage years eventually were faced with a question. They eventually had to decide if they wanted to make a career out of religious studies. And if they did, they needed to find a rabbi, someone to teach them. They would look for one they admired and then they would apply to be his disciple, and the goal of a disciple was to become like his rabbi. And so when a disciple or a potential disciple found a rabbi that he liked, he would go and he would sit at the feet of this rabbi, literally at his feet, which was his request to learn from him. The rabbi then would respond by examining you with a series of questions to see if you were worthy of his investment in time. And so, of course, as you can imagine, rabbis would often choose the smartest and the most talented boys available to be their disciples, their students. But notice that in this particular story, Jesus doesn't choose the best, but the willing. Jesus doesn't choose the best, but the willing. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
And so here's Jesus, this new rabbi on the block, and he picks Peter and Andrew, a couple of fishermen, to be his disciples. Now, nothing at all against fishermen. In fact, there was a time in my own life that you can rest assured that if I thought I could make a living catching fish, I would have jumped on that boat in a hurry. But in those days, in Jesus' days, there were no Shimano sponsorships. Uh, there were no celebrated uh, weigh-ins. There was no Bassmaster Classic. This was strictly a business of survival, providing food for the family and for whoever else would buy from you. And see, the truth is, the fact that they were fishermen shows that they were part of the B team. They were part of the B team. They, they weren't the best and the brightest. They weren't the religious scholars of the day. They weren't the most devoted students. Now let that sink in for just a minute. When the fullness of God in human flesh, when the Son of God chose His squad to build His movement, He chose the B team. Jesus doesn't choose the best, but the willing. You don't have to be the brightest bulb or the sharpest knife to follow the King of all kings. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. Jesus passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. You see, Jesus chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities, but from what he would do through them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says it this way. He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Church, God's power, God's power in the weakest vessel is infinitely greater than the greatest worldly power without him. And the truth is, according to God's word, Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use you, friend, in your family and at your school and at your workplace. So stop making excuses that you are not able. He doesn't need your ability. He only requires your availability. He equips those that he calls to serve him. He, he equipped Peter and Andrew, whom he called to be his disciples. Has he called you? Has he called you to follow after him? Has He called you to trust Him? Has He called you to lean on Him? Has He called you to give your life for Him, for His glory? If He has called you, then He will equip you. Has Jesus called you to follow Him, to sit at His feet, to learn from Him, to be His disciple? Those of us who know Jesus know that He chose us, not we Him. Jesus chose us, not we Him. Verse 19, come, follow me, Jesus said. As I said a moment ago, the normal process for initiating a, a rabbi-student relationship was for the student to approach the rabbi, and if the rabbi liked what he saw, he'd choose you back. This choosing would provide a great deal of confidence for the disciples. Sort of reminds me of uh, elementary recess when uh, teams were picked, and you had a couple of captains, and if you were picked to be part of a team, then you felt pretty good about yourself. You felt like, this, this team needs me. This captain is confident in me. When it came to being a disciple of a rabbi, when things weren't going well, when you were struggling to wrestle with the deep truths of number 16 or Leviticus 20 or the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, you might think to yourself, 
But my rabbi believed in me. He chose me. I can do this. Jesus, however, starts the process further back than this. His disciples don't come to sit at his feet. He comes and he seeks them out even when they weren't looking for him. Church, there's no doubt some of you are struggling right now. Maybe you're not struggling to memorize the Old Testament. Maybe that's not on the agenda. But maybe you are struggling to uh, display the gospel of Jesus in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling to trust Jesus through cancer. Maybe you're struggling to faithfully parent your children. Maybe you're struggling to speak the truth in a work environment that's hostile to faith in Jesus. Maybe you're struggling to love your neighbor as yourself. Believe me, friend, if you are a disciple of Jesus, he chose you. He has called you and he equips those he calls to live for him. Jesus later told his followers, John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And of course, we would acknowledge there is a crucial element of responding to the call of Jesus. Human responsibility. He chooses us to be his disciples. He invites us to be his followers. And we respond with faith and a willingness to obey his calling. What is it that Jesus calls his disciples to? I think we see in the scriptures that our primary calling is to be with him. Our primary calling is is to be with him, to follow him and to learn from him, to sit under him. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus doesn't tell them where they're going? He doesn't tell them what they'll be doing. No assignment recorded, no packing list provided. The calling of Christ is not so much to do something, but to become like Him. And to become like our Lord, to become like Jesus, we must spend time with Him. We must know Him. And to know Him, you have to know His Word. You have to read His Word. You have to consume His Word. You have to come alongside. You have to sit under Him and hear from Him and spend time with Him. And here at Meadowbrook, you have many opportunities to do just that. Weekly messages from His Word. Bible study uh, groups where teaching the Word is a central focus. Other uh, particular studies, special studies throughout the year. And if you're a serious disciple of Jesus, you're going to take advantage of these. But not only these, you're going to immerse yourself in God's Word on your own. You're going to read His Word. Let's be disciples, church, who want to know and become like our Lord so much that we consume His Word until it dominates our thinking and our behavior. So let's read it and hear it. Let's learn it. Let's memorize it. Let's speak it. Our primary calling is to be with Jesus. And because He is Lord, being with Him implies following Him. He is to lead. We are to follow. He is the King. We are His servants. He is the Savior. We are the saved. He is the rabbi. We are the disciples. He is God and He calls us to be His people. And to follow Him, we have to leave all. To follow him, to follow Jesus, according to Jesus, we have to to leave all. Verse 20, at once, Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. Likewise, James and John, verse 22, immediately left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. 
Upon a quick reading of God's Word, that simply sounds like details that are there to embellish the story. But remember that one of our central confessions of the faith is that the, in the Bible, uh, all, all Scripture, all of the Bible is God-breathed. That it's from the Lord, that it's useful for us, meaning every word is from Him. Nothing random, nothing extra, nothing unnecessary. So why mention these things? Why mention boat? Why mention Father? Why identify these two things? I think because these are often the most significant and important things in our lives. The boat perhaps symbolizes career, the way we provide for ourselves. Since they left their father, their father implies their most significant relationships. Jesus wants all. And to be his disciple, your relationship with him has to take precedence over everything else, over your career and over your family. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we neglect our family. We don't neglect to care for those we love. Jesus didn't neglect his family. He doesn't expect us to either, but he does expect us to surrender all to him. And he expects our allegiance to him to affect the way we relate to our families. And the way we lead our families, the way we honor our parents, the way we teach our children, the way we love our wives. And Jesus expects, church, our allegiance to him to affect the way we choose a career and the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace and the way we save and the way we spend money. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So here's Rabbi Jesus, but more than a rabbi, the Son of God and Savior of the world. So you, you want to be my disciple. You're welcome to be my disciple. Whosoever can be my disciple. But you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And to follow Jesus is to make him number one in your life. He must, must take precedence over everything, even career and family. The truth is, most of us won't, won't lose or our father or mother over Jesus. Some might. But some of us may be called to change careers. He may lead you to transfer and become part of a church plant in an underchurch city. He may lead you to leave your job and carry the gospel overseas. He doesn't always call us that way. For many of us it may be may not be that dramatic, but you will have moments where you will decide which holds greater sway over your life. Friends, Jesus doesn't choose the best, but the willing. He chose us, not we him. Our primary calling is to be with him and to follow him. We have to leave all. And part of following him, just part of following Jesus is leading others to also know and follow Jesus. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. Jesus commands his disciples. He commands all who know him. All who've trusted in Him. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. Verse 19, He says, Come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. See, the word disciple implies student and follower. A relationship of submission and allegiance. And to be a disciple is to forsake everything that Jesus forbids. And to pursue all that He prescribes because you recognize who He is. You see that He is Lord. That He is Savior. And that there is no salvation apart from Him. That you need Him and that all people need Him. And so you began to invest in relationships with unbelievers for the sake of telling people about Jesus. So who do you know? Who do you know that needs to know about Jesus? 
Who do you know that needs to hear about the love of Christ? Who do you know that needs to hear that that God is compassionate and gracious, that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that He loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, that whoever believes in Christ would have eternal life? You see, fishing for people is not something that only Jesus does. It's not something that only Peter and Andrew and James and John were to do, to be a disciple is to fish for people. To point them to the Savior. It's not something that professional disciples do or only mature Christians do. It's something each of us does. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a non-reproducing Christian. To spiritually reproduce is to bear fruit. To prove that you are a true disciple of Jesus. The Jesus who said in John 15, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus goes on at the end of his earthly ministry and some of the most well-known words of Christ. Jesus tells us what it looks like to bear fruit. His famous Great Commission, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the original language of the New Testament, the central controlling verb of this commission is make disciples. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. The go, the baptize, and teach are all participles that derive their force from this central verb and focus, make disciples. In other words, making disciples is the central commission Christ leaves us with. To follow Jesus is to make disciples, to spiritually reproduce, to remember in Christ's own words why he came when he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, I I came to seek and to save. I came to seek and to save those that are lost, those that are, those that are in need of a Savior. And to make disciples is to believe these words. To believe these words by trusting Jesus and striving to seek and to save the lost by pointing them to Jesus, our Savior and Lord. His best-selling book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said this. He said, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. Church, you are God's method. We are God's Method for sharing the gospel, the message of salvation, the greatest news ever, ever told. The greatest news that could be received. And I want to see us become this. I want to see you become this. I want to be this. And this is why we're offering this evangelism training this Saturday as part of this emphasis. A time of encouraging and equipping one another to, to share the gospel in a conversational way with those around us, those the Lord puts in our path. So I hope you'll I hope you'll make plans to come. Nine to one this Saturday. Come be a part of this. Come be instructed. Come be encouraged. Come share that we might know and follow Jesus and see others in our spheres of influence come 
to know and follow Jesus. You see, Jesus calls us to bear fruit. He calls us to make disciples. He calls us to be ambassadors, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not let this intimidate us. For making disciples is simply teaching others to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus with the help of God's Holy Spirit. The one who said, and surely I am with you always. He has promised to help you. So let's identify our one. Identify your one. Ask God to help you identify one person that you can, with the help of God's Holy Spirit, lead to faith in Jesus this year. I've identified one, and I'll be honest, I'm looking forward to sharing the gospel with him. I'm excited about it. Look forward to opportunities the Lord might place in my path to share the gospel with my one. And church, can you imagine? Can you imagine if every one of us that are gathered in this room this morning took this commission seriously? If we did this, if we asked God, God, give me one person I could bring to Jesus. Now that is a prayer that's in accordance with Jesus' name. That's a prayer that our Lord and Savior, I believe, will honor. Can you imagine if every one of our families or Bible study groups made it their goal to reach one person for Jesus this year? Can you imagine if each one committed to reach one? Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? If not, maybe you're the one today. If you're not following Christ, turn and trust Him today. He is good. He is sufficient. He is Savior. He is not only a high and lofty, majestic and splendid King who made all things, but He is a God who has come near in order to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us, that we might know and enjoy and live with and for Him forever and ever and ever. You want to know Him. If you don't know Him today, take a moment where you are this morning and turn to Him. Express your faith in Him. Acknowledge that you have sinned, that you have turned against Him, that you have gone your own way, that you've neglected following after Him, but that you believe Jesus is Savior, that He is Messiah, that He is Lord, and you want to follow Him. That's a prayer that the Lord will honor. That's a prayer, that's a a message, a commitment that leads to being a disciple and leads to life with Him. Turn and cry out to Him to save you. And then pray that God would put people in your path that need to hear the gospel. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we do come before you today and we acknowledge that that you are God, that you are the Almighty One, that you are holy and righteous, you are true, but you are just and you are gracious, that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who redeems, that you are the only God and you desire us to to know you and to live for you and to delight in you, to, to taste and see that you are good. And to spend our lives for your glory. Father, we pray that you would lead us to do so. We pray that you would encourage us with these truths from your word. And that your spirit would continually work in our lives and in our minds. And Father, I pray that if there are any this morning that are gathered among us today. That are not disciples of Jesus. That today would be the day of salvation for them. 
And Father, I pray that today would be a day of commitment for all of us, that we would once again respond to the truths of your word by expressing faith in you and allegiance to Jesus. Lord, that we would live our lives as an open slate before you, saying wherever you lead, we will go. We want to follow you. Lord, guide us now as we respond to the truths of your word. Speak to us, move among us, hear us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.